Hello and welcome back to the Field of Design podcast for your news, stories and nonsense from the sports apparel and sports creative industry. My name is Mason Charrington and with me only a mere few kilometres away is Nick Bassett. How are you going, Nick? Evening, sir. Uh, and you're also keeping us up to date with the Warriors v Storm game that's yeah. going on at the moment for those Storm playing at home. It up. Warriors ball, 29 <laughs> minutes to go. Okay, so try not to interrupt mid-conversation, mate, but feel free to keep give us an update <laughs> for those here live with us today. Uh, and plenty more kilometres away is our guest for today's episode, all the way from Amsterdam, regular listener of the podcast, Sean Castelline. G'day, guys. How you doing? Great, How's mate. How are you going? Doing well, doing well. Yeah, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> super, super excited to have you on. We've been going back and forth for, geez, uh, probably early days of the podcast, haven't haven't we? Um, few few, yeah, few small conversations here than there. Yeah, <laughs> but um, really glad to to finally have you on and and get this lined up. Um, for the listeners, before we get into it, to keep up with the visual references in today's show, you can visit our Instagram page at Field of Design Podcast and look for the episode highlights reel. You can find all source articles and reference links via this episode's dedicated page at thefieldofdesign.com. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can via Instagram or at our email, fieldofdesignpodcast at gmail.com. But let's get into it, eh? Sean, welcome. Very happy to have you on. Very happy. We got a... uh, Got a lot to talk about. I sent you a run sheet a couple of days ago and you were quite impressed with <laughs> the, the level of uh, depth that I went to. Uh, hopefully I haven't overwhelmed you, but look, we'll, we'll get through as much as we can and, and anything else is just a good excuse for you to come back on another day, right? Oh, good. Yeah, no worries. So, mate, you are Product Operations Manager as your current role, but before we get into that, mate, why don't you just tell us a bit about yourself? Um, grew up in Adelaide um, and been over here in, in Holland for last almost six years. Wow. Um, yeah, got a missus and a couple of kids over here and a couple of young boys, who, one of them just starting to get into sports, so that's, that's a bit of fun. Um, How old are your boys? Uh, three and a half and one. Excellent. So, so, it's a good age, good age good age gap i think mine are pretty much the same yeah yeah <laughs> although i've got a head start on you a little bit <laughs> yeah you can give me some tips then yeah. Uh, so yeah i can yeah just pretty much pretty sport obsessed guy um as you can probably imagine from the conversations we've had in the past mm-hmm. um, jersey nerd um collector worked in this industry for since 2005 as well so um yeah there's a lot going on in this field in my life whether it be uh, recreational or um my my job in itself so yeah yeah and without getting too personal mate your family um did you bring any of them along with you or are they all met over here or over there i should say no so i'm i'm here by myself oh by myself and I've got my, yep. my family my immediate family of course and um and uh everyone else is back home in in Oz. Wow. Yeah, so it's a bit it's a bit full circle because my dad's folks are from over here. 
and moved out um, in like nineteen sixty to Australia. Okay. And stayed there, and now now I'm back over here. Just got my my great aunt left, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I I applaud anyone who takes those leaps. I mean, I said to Nick how just impressed I was with his, uh, you know, move from across the Tasman from from New Zealand to Brisbane, but um as I've discovered doing a bit of research on you before today's episode, you've, you've moved around a bit, but, you know, to make your way all across to the other side of the world um, and to hear that you've kind of done it yourself, man, that's, that's, that's incredible enough for me. It is um, a little bit further, of course. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to that and, um, and discuss that sort of exact moments, but yeah, it's, can be pretty daunting, yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. And so you're playing sport over there. Um, I just started because I just moved to in the last year or so. Moved to well, sorry, I've just started playing football again. Um, yep. As in soccer, I've got to adjust back. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, so, yeah, See that, um, Nick? Soccer, no, football. <laughs> um, While we're talking but... too, hey, Mason keeps saying Nike. What is it? Answer it once and okay, for all. I say Nike, but people, people say whatever. Like, yeah, Nike, Nike. Yeah, Adidas, Adidas, Puma, Puma, whatever. Like, yeah, we can debate news, that news. soccer and all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, for me, there's footy and football, and footy is Aussie rules, and football is the round ball. But, yeah. Um, yeah, since I've been over here and, and before when I lived in China as well, really gravitated towards um, Aussie rules again. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. And trying to get out to get a kick, but I live in a I live in a pretty small bit like village over here, just outside Amsterdam, and um, just to be a part of that, jumped into the over thirty fives soccer team and sort of yeah, tried to immerse myself in the in the local uh, local game. So <laughs> yeah, I think I saw a photo of you while I was doing doing a bit of the rounds, the Amsterdam Devils, is that right? They've yeah, got a pretty yeah. impressive um, Guernsey, actually. Yeah, man, you've got you to get onto this. There's two really good um, jumpers in the league you've got. So Amsterdam Devils just uses the Amsterdam flag. Yeah. Um, and it lends itself perfectly to a Guernsey. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's only three teams in the country, mate, so... Outstanding. So it's probably, like, the best Aussie rules league in the world for, for, for uh, like, ratio-wise. for Percentage for, of for decent Guernseys. So have, get, a, get a look at the Delft Blues um, Guernsey when you get a chance as well because, yeah, if, if you know what Delft Blue is, you'll see that replicated perfectly in the jumper. It's, uh, it's really well done. I don't, but I I'll do my research. Way, unfortunately, I wish, wish, I'd, wish I'd come up with it myself, but uh, that's, that's a beauty. Yep. Okay. Uh, and sorry, shout out to which, what football team you're playing for now, or soccer team, what football team you're playing for? <laughs> yeah. Uh, SV Defect. Yeah. You'll never find it. I'm like a team for a team in the 10th division in, uh, in Holland. So, or the first teams in the 10th division, not the. Uh, not the over 35, so gotcha. <laughs> yeah, imagine I'm not, uh, I'm not setting the world alight. Oh, mate, I think uh, after you have kids, I think it's just the fact that you're doing it, doing something is is absolutely better than nothing at all, right? Doesn't need to be the top levels. <laughs> no, indeed, but 
All right. Look, um, yeah, let, let, let's actually start to talk a bit of industry stuff, hey? So um, your role, what, why don't you tell us a bit about what your, you know, your role is or what your day-to-day might look like or week or month or to get an idea of what it is to be a product operations manager? Yeah, so it's, it's a lot of planning for production, um, as you can imagine, and, <laughs> and a lot more meetings um, than I've experienced before. Um, it's probably worth noting from the start that this is the first role that I've had where I wasn't answering directly to the owner founder or perhaps the owner founder's son, you know, and the back home especially. That was really um yeah, that's that happens a lot. I'm not sure about how it works for you for you guys and mm-hmm. the, the in the companies that you're in. Mm-hmm. But that was really how it was for me. And then you're reporting and you may have a discussion with one or two people to make a change overall. But um you need a lot of meetings in a in a bigger company to uh to, to, to make a change and to um exert your influence on, on a process or or those kind of things. Um yeah, so a lot of small details require a lot yeah. more work than they do in, in um you know in the companies that I've worked for in the past. Um so yeah there's a lot of uh you know I'm three three days a week in the European headquarters. One day yeah. a week in the in the visiting suppliers, and um, and then a week from from home in the attic. Nice, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's just really making sure, giving a lot of confirmations that stock is ready to be uh, produced, mm-hmm. or printed, or shipped, and and uh, following that whole process as much as I can. So you're running off timelines. You've got multiple, I imagine, a screen with like multiple different timelines running, uh, different fabrics coming in and out at this point, different applications. So are you yeah. kind of like the the middle point? Not, I wouldn't say like the end point, but the middle point, ensuring that you, your heat seals are coming in at the right time and your embroidery is getting done at the right time and the fabric is being subbed at the right time, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and probably a little bit more specific Um that something might arrive already at this stage and then I'd take over and, and make sure that that flows through to to be shipped to the, in, in time. And, of course, there's some things that are done, you know, like on an indent basis, for lack of a better word, where it's 18 months ahead of the of the curve. And I, I know that you guys at Dynasty, um, that's been talked about in, in Kit's um, expose episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but you also get short turnaround requests and, a lot of that falls on my feet too so yeah it's it's also interesting having those um those kind of clashing schedules yes well i i could fairly say you know from my perspective i know kit and nick's um experiences are you know very different <laughs> a lot of the time as well um from from dynasty's point of view to, to valor's point of view it's it's funny how you know we're all in the same industry but um you know things can certainly be operated on a ton of different ways. Um, and it's something that I like about, you know, having this podcast and having conversations like this is we get to, you know, find the magic of all of the different ways that, that things can, can kind of get done. 
Um, so you talk about, you know, the meetings and, um, you know, driving, driving around with suppliers, et cetera. What are some of the duties that you kind of love to do and, and what are the, the, the some that perhaps people wouldn't realize are not so great about being a, a product operations manager? Um, yeah, so I think it's really obvious with me and if you know me that I'm really passionate about the product, right? And I'm really passionate about getting it, especially if it goes on field, right? Like, or um, in, in the sense of the, the player is going to wear it. Um, so when we start out a product, that gives me a lot of energy. Got a lot of love for those kind of meetings where we say, hey, this is the kind of direction we're going. This is, these are the designs we're going to work with. Um, these are the timelines. Let's go. It's super motivating. And, mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, in the last couple of years, it's been a bit of hell as far as like shipping anything anywhere. Um, you know, we're starting to get see the, see the end of that these days, but. Um, Logistics were a nightmare for a very yeah. long period of time yeah. when COVID started, weren't they? <laughs> for those that yeah, probably weren't that, working out what you were saying there. We're still recovering from that really. Um, and yeah, I think anything that kind of pops up and, uh, <laughs> I think throws that off the rails and uh, got to jump through a lot of hoops to kind of keep it on track. I think that's that's the stuff that you don't love, but you also sort of get a bit of um, adrenaline from that, I guess. You thrive so, from it when you're up until yeah. 11 o'clock at night making sure that something's going to be done by 8 a.m. the next day. <laughs> well, it's, I, th- I think that is, um, that's a bit more exclusive to, uh, the company size that I've worked in the past, mm-hmm. right? Because I could be here at eleven o'clock and I'd be alone for four of those four or five of those hours, right? So you you don't actually and you can't you know make all the decisions along the way by yourself. That's yep. you need your team around you. So um, it's a it's it's I'm not, I'm not going to say it's anywhere near nine to five. Um, or anything like that, but it's definitely closer to that than, than what I experienced in the past. Yep. Because what I experienced in the past is like you feel that personally because you're solely responsible for, or you have a, li- a lot more influence on on the outcome. Um, and you really take that to heart, for instance, if especially especially when I didn't have a family, like, you know, when I was younger, there was, there was times when I was really, really late leaving the office and <laughs> probably look back on it now, couldn't even tell you what the projects were. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just like, okay, this is on me. I'm going to make sure it happens. And you, you really feel feel passionate about getting that out to the customers. So yeah, yeah, you, you're definitely uh, a little green and a little obnoxious. I know that I've kind of felt that, and maybe I'm putting words in your mouth a little bit here. But in, in your youth, and like you said before, you have kids and whatever, you're very much like, "No, nah, I'm fighting for this tooth and nail before <laughs> before I uh, I cave over with anything." But I don't know. You get sick of fight, fighting sometimes, so you kind of start to to choose your battles a little bit more. I don't know. Is that what you mean? Um, I think I think you just just take it on board and take it like this is my sole responsibility, um, or at least that's what I felt a lot of the time. Like, okay, I'm the one that can make sure this happens, or I'm going to give everything that I have to make sure that happens. And not that it's different now, but there are other parameters there that you know I could work on a project for extra. But there would always be a stoppage, like, oh, that actually needs approval from someone that's not available, or mm-hmm. I need to 
get some information from someone else because that's not my remit. Um, yeah, it's just the difference between working for a larger operation than, than what I have in the past, yeah. Yep. Would you be making calls on some design aspects of the gear that you're working on or are you really more looking after putting the puzzle together? More practical stuff at this at this point. I can I can lend any air and especially with the sports that um are perhaps more my forte than than people that are from mainland Europe and um I can always lend an ear and some some advice on, on a lot of things. But as far as that actually being part of what I do, it's more to ensure that it's it can still be produced. Yeah, right, for sure. And it's, and it's still um ready to be used on field and those kind of things and that that it's appropriate. Yep. And um yeah, just to just sort of dotting the I's crossing the T's and making sure yeah, this 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 fits, let's say. Yeah, sweet. Let's let's kind of go back a bit now. We'll make our way back to where you are. Why don't you give a bit of insight for the listeners around what got you into the industry? You know, young Sean running around in Adelaide, specifically Adelaide or you know, South yeah, Australia? From, yep. Yeah, from south of Adelaide even. So, yep. So, yeah. so um, young Sean running around there, what led you to working in this industry? So I just always had a thing for for what was being worn on the field, right, and uh, of, of sport. And I think that sport was always around me. My folks were still pretty young. Um, I always remembered that my mum was playing hockey and that my dad was still playing soccer and stuff when, when, I, was, when I was young. So, you know, I would, I would sort of see that um, around a lot and also watched a lot of Aussie rules as a kid as well. We kind of came from, yeah, Southern Adelaide was pretty heavy on Aussie rules and, mm-hmm. um, and my mum was from Geelong originally. So she was massively into footy. And the cats were sort of a big thing, and um, and my dad's family were from the Netherlands, as, as I mentioned, and um, so they were they were really keen on football, like on soccer. So just everywhere I go, everywhere I went as a kid, it was kind of sport involved, um, and yeah, I just loved it, and yeah, I just got sort of fascinated with uh, the colours and the what it was attached to, and sort of any. Um, logos merchandise all that kind of stuff the tribalism of sport yeah yeah but, but how that was represented visually yeah yep or so you products. were yeah you're i'm sort of picking up that you're from the start always more interested in product than actual design of the product uh what would that be no no i wouldn't say that i think yeah uh, might we'll probably get to that in, in, in the chat or we can do it now but yep. um the, I would look at that as I was always obsessed with the design. Yep. And the career led me to be more about product. Yeah, okay. Yep. Right. Um, yeah, I would say that because I was always obsessed with like, oh, this design or, you know, this team wears this and I want to have this shirt and I'm I'm still like that, right? Yep. <laughs> I see a design and I'm like, oh, I've got to grab that. Um, so were you yeah. a creative teeny bopper were you someone who kind of explored the arts a little bit or was it more the yeah, that sports yeah, side that led you that way uh 
but yeah, I'd say I was reasonably creative. Um, I don't think that if I look back on my education, like my primary school, high school education, that that art was really something that was encouraged. It was a mm-hmm. bit. Uh, yeah. Can't make a career out of art. Can't make yeah. money out of art. <laughs> well, <laughs> this context. I I did year twelve in in uh, you know far western Melbourne in um, yeah twenty. Well, 2000, right? Now, uh, we had a graphic design class, probably like eight or nine guys that did not have a single computer. Wow. <laughs> yeah, right? So, I mean, and it wasn't like we were getting like some kind of obscene detail um, entry into the into the art world side of things. Because, of course, like in the end, I did graphic design at, at university, right? At a, at, later, at a later stage and you know they they don't touch computers for the first I think year and a half basically mm-hmm. um, uh, but that was really to, to teach a lot of principles and, and really start at the, at the bottom yeah but I had to really because the, you know I had an interest in design the reason that I that I wanted to do that at a higher education level was because it was the only subject at, at school that I thought about that sort of lingered with me after I left. And it yep. would sort of take over from there. And then I would be like, oh, I'm thinking about, I don't even know what, what I would have been designing without a computer back then. But whatever it was, it was like, okay, this is the project. And that just stuck in my head. And it's probably my downfall in the end because then you take work home with you, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Always. And you've made that choice yourself. Um, but no, that was that was really the reason that that I felt something inside me saying, "Okay, this is this is something to immerse yourself in." Yep. And did you always find that you were tying the sports industry into the creative assignments that you were working on, or at that point of time you were just kind of fully immersed in in the, the projects from a you know full spectrum creative sense? I, I definitely. Well, I, I do remember that I wore a lot of like football jerseys and stuff like that. And it's very much the odd one out. Um, so he was in this world. Yeah. But were there any, you know, significant people that you kind of studied with or any of your lecturers or anything like that, or even, you know, from your, your schooling days, your secondary um, that kind of led or, you know, de- defined or motivated your progression as well. Like, you know, I always have this, this thought in my head around, you know, you're on a traveling path and there are certain, you know, nodes that send you on trajectories. And I can think of key people in my life, you know, in sports creativity and, and outside it that, that kind of influence and motivate you. Do you have people like that? No, no, <laughs> it's, um, it- I did give this some thought, mate, because this this is one on the on the on the on the run sheet that had me stumped. Because there wasn't really anyone around me or anything like that, and you know, even the even the designs in sport that I loved, I had no idea who was behind them back then, or you know, you couldn't follow whoever was designing the AFL gear back then, or anything to do with that. You just you just didn't know. You never heard about them. 
um or, and and it wasn't like okay this you didn't get this full breakdown of a new logo or reasons for it or anything like that so it was it was just me being drawn to the fact that that stuff existed um and that it was really my own thing right it wasn't that uh you know my parents were in that zone or um my uncles or anything like sport was all around me and and i just loved it yeah as far as far as having someone that guided me through that or whatever i, I wish there was um but there was there just wasn't it was and as, as far as having um you know a look to word towards working in the sporting industry with design at the forefront um yeah that was that was that was not really looked at that was really like yeah yeah uh, any time that sort of sport was in my projects um I learned pretty quickly to leave it out. It's such a new world now, isn't it? Like the internet for good or ill has kind of unlocked so many things for a whole lot of different niches, not just, you know, the sports creative landscape, but, you know, any anyone who has, you know, some sort of niche or fetish or anything like that, there's a place for it. And what I found really amazing is, you know, for the sports creatives, you know, there is a community online, you know, in a few different places that can just celebrate and critique that kind of stuff. But at least there's yep. a place there that can, you know, direct you and drive you and lead you. And, you know, hopefully we're, you know, some very minuscule, small portion of that too, to to unlocking, you know, certain things for certain people. Oh, yeah. So I was just going to say social media is huge for getting into the industry as well. Eh? Like the amount of great designers you see out there, okay, you know, you need that experience and, and know how once you get in the industry, but the exposure you can get from just having a social media page or whatever um, really helps yeah. out, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and I suppose then, you know, back to my leading question, which was around, you know, any um, motivators or, you know, important people for you. I think that's then just back to being a credit to you and being, you know, quite determined and, and having a strong mindset of what you wanted to do and really being ambitious to kind of lead that path for yourself and, and define that you, it's quite clear that you knew to some extent where you wanted to go and, and you, you didn't necessarily need people to kind of encourage you to do that. You've, you've kind of, you know, made that path yourself. Why don't we talk about that path a little bit, mate? Don't get me wrong, because there's definitely people that encourage me to to follow that and just do what I love. Um, there's also people that have sort of pulled me up along the way and been like, okay, are you really getting out of this industry what you'd hoped for um, as well? And, and and it's not always the case, right? Um, but as far as having like a sort of a mentor or someone that I knew in the industry or someone to bounce off, no, that, that didn't exist. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of the different stages of you know where um where i've ended up has been from me basically being so fiercely interested and um passionate about this industry right so um <laughs> yeah i like okay so so at the end of the um of the course at uni one of my colleagues told me that she worked um you know, making sublimated um, footy guernseys at the local, um, one of the local producers in Adelaide. It's called Sports Center. Like, yeah, it still is. But um, yeah, they're just making like amateurs, jumpers, and a, 
bit here and there, a um, bit of rugby, and well, pretty much a lot of lawn bowls in the end. I found out the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> so she, so she, she graduated and um, she said, oh, do you want to take over my job? And she'd been working there the whole time as to sort of, you know, wow. through uni. Right. And, um, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. And yeah, she said, yeah, go in on Thursday or whatever. And I've gone down there and, you know, I've been in there before, of course, because there was a sports store there that I think um, the first jersey I ever bought for myself, like with my own money, right, when I was 12, <laughs> came from that shop. So I was pretty familiar with the, with the place. And it was a bit like... And I try and word this quite nicely, right? Because um, it wasn't polished, yep. right? This place. It was, it was, um, it was what it was, but it was, it was, you know, pretty prevalent in grassroots sport and online, um, as far as their branding and them doing sublimation in house and stuff like that. So I knew of the place and have been there plenty, and um, I've gone in and had this sort of taken in my CV and thought, okay, this would be awesome, you know, first out of uni, straight into or into into a role where you'd be designing sports gear, beautiful. And um, the bloke took my CV, didn't even look at it, sort of leapt back and put my CV in a, in a shelf behind his head and said, yeah, jump on there and show me what you can do, and uh, we'll go from there. So I basically, like, just jumped into to, to the position. Um, and, I mean, everybody knew that... It was really, if if you know me, you know immediately that that I'm really passionate about this stuff. So that that yeah. sort of went from there. But it, yeah, it was. So I was back in in 2005. Very um, very critical question. Sure. <laughs> Illustrator or Corel Draw? Back then, or like, what's, or what's my? Oh, no, back then. We'll get to yeah, it. Back then. I think Corel is Corel for for. Corel until I got here, I think. Yeah, I was in Corel when I was in, in China as well, and um, and I, <laughs> I don't know guys, but I always felt like uh, because we never got to use Illustrator, I kind of felt cheated. Yeah. Like when you had to talk to people, like, like he said, so yeah, 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 you guys are using Illustrator, right? and you'd be like, nope, nope, no. no. <laughs> so, um. Yeah, it was everyone was using Corel then, especially when people were doing it in house because the licenses were way cheaper and everyone else was using Corel as yes. far as licenses. Yep. Cutting, um, you know, people cutting film and sublimating offshore or whatever. Everyone else was using Corel as well. So it became this kind of niche thing. And then when I tried to like do designs outside of that work on my own, or could be for anything really. And people were like, what are you using Corel for? Like everyone that I went to uni with was like, what do you mean you're using Corel? It's like using paint instead of Photoshop. It's like, <laughs> well, mm. <laughs> it was a bit like that, I guess. But um, yeah, if, if, if you learn to, to use the basic tools, um, Corel was by this stage a bit better, right? Like then, then it had the reputation of, but um, Mate, to use the basic tools and use them well. I then. will not be ashamed to say, even now, like shoot me down. I do not care. There are still elements of Corel Draw that do things better than Illustrator. Sometimes I just think that My Illustrator is, is Illustrator has just gotten so big. You know, the, the, this Adobe mammoth, you know, organization that 
you know, there's some things that they're just ignoring and not getting to. And there are elements like, yeah, Nick, you just mentioned that masks, like Corel do it better. They do it better. It's like running Android to Apple. You know, you can tap in behind the system a lot easier. You can set up your own macros a lot easier. Um, shortcuts are a lot easier. Um, it, particularly when we're talking like apparel and we're using, you know, we're fitting things into to clipping masks or power clips, whichever terminology you want to use. Um, you know, I'm sorry, Illustrator fans, but Corel still does that better. But in saying that, I still prefer Illustrator. <laughs> yeah, I think it was pretty niche for like our industry, hey, and then when you had to do something outside of um, sublimation or film cutting over, everybody was kind of like, why, like, why yeah. is this not coming out? Really? Like, oh, I did it in Corel. Uh, <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yep. So you you um you kind of set your stomping ground. You work in front line, um on you know bowls, lawn bowls, and and other local um clubs in South Australia. <laughs> yeah, like a lot, a lot. There's there's a lot of stuff that that I loved. Um, you know, setting up for subs and uh, sublimation prints and things like that. And um, you know, there was even I think, you know, a lot of us NFL jumpers back then yep. um and stuff that was being done potentially yeah i think it was from burley seacombe and things like that we were actually producing it yep um so that was a lot of fun but then for a couple of hours a day you'd be like oh we've we've had you know sue and jan from local yeah. bowls club come and you like whip something up and you'd sit down with the bowls rep and these two two old ladies and um yeah and go through like <laughs> And, and so, yeah, I guess that was that was a real peak moment for sublimation in that in that zone as well, because it was this changeover from okay, they're going to wear this you know bone white gear head to toe, you know floppy caps and such. Yep. And then they went, you know what, we can sublimate that, add color to it. And that was kind of the first phase, like a bit of little club logos and a bit of little swooshier. And then the sort of peak timing of when I jumped on was like. Um, you basically go nuts. So anything that they said, the ref would kind of give you a nudge. Yeah, do that, do that, do that. You just had us <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I think we I think I got sucked in from that because um, there was also a period where I think we'll probably go into licenses and all of that later. But that Bowls Australia had yet to have a Bowls Australia license to for people to be able to wear it on yep. the grant. Yeah, the Bowls Australia logo on it. Don't know if that's still the same, but that was that was the case. So we were one of the, the few people that could um, actually produce that. So we just we just got bombarded. So it, it wasn't all um, all fun, but uh, but there's some there's some defining moments, right? Like you know the skills that you take from that that place there, you, you build on those, you've set the foundations of, you know, how to talk with customers and, and you, you know, you're setting the foundations of, you know, defining that apparel, learning, yeah, <laughs> learning your sublimation, all that kind of stuff. Right. So, you know, it is, yeah. it is kind of that, that first, first line of defense in a way, but at the same time, you know, I look back and I think, you know, those type of things for me, are incredibly important in, you know, defining what my career progression might be. I think it's still in those sort of in-house smaller companies as well. It's still the same style. Like, oh, just put anything on it, like go crazy, you know. <laughs> it's 
at a in a way it's sort of easier the higher you get up because you can pair it back and do more the classy stuff whereas at that level you just sort of do whatever customer wants and it can be as crazy as anything yeah yeah definitely i think think the best part of of that though was in-house we had the screen printers were there the sublimation was there right the thermo cutters were there like it was everything in-house they had an embroidery guy there and then another one down the road and it was it was always so hands-on i just learned about everything at that moment Mm -hmm. and so that's that's why i didn't want to be very if i said it was a bit of a you know like bit of a mess in the place or something like that in the, in the beginning you probably might have offended some people from from there or whatever but, but it, it was really yeah such a such an interesting first step into into that world because everything was on site everything was like uh all systems go all the time yep um and uh yeah just learned so much so quick uh, i got i got a i gotta say a lot of pressure from from the get-go and and I think, um, you know, when I talk about these kind of things with people in the industry or in, in, in fashion industries in general, that, that pressure and adrenaline, if you're in it for too long, right, it's easy to miss as well. Yep. Right. And there's deadlines popping up and you're not going to go and work an office job and nine to five after you, you kind of get hooked on that, if, if you're that kind of person that does. Yep. So, Yeah. I was, I was hooked pretty early, I think. <laughs> yep. So you've got some weapons in your arsenal now. You've, you've yep. got some, um, some learnings that you've taken away. Where's, where's a few of your next step from here? We don't need to break down every single thing that you, every place that you've worked, but, you know, from there you've gone across to a few different places. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I went to what is now Belgravia um, in Adelaide as well. <clears throat> and worked on design with them. They also had everything in-house, um, but it's sort of bigger and uh, it was a bit more polished, you know, and they, they didn't have a retail side to anything. It was just like firmly sportswear and schoolwear. And that was sort of a, a step in the right direction as far as um, having a bit more control over what I was doing and, um, and yeah, a bit of, bit of, bit of polish on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, from there, I. I did the, you know, the timeline right, but uh, I did a stint with Araya, who were then, um, they needed someone in Adelaide, um, one that when they took over the Adelaide United contract for one A-League season. Yep. Um, and potential for, for two. Um, and that was basically as a, uh, basically to set up the range, um, no real involvement in production. Uh, per se, yep. um, but definitely try to make sure that uh, the team and the retail orders and all of that was taken over and then um, work some team wear on the side into local clubs Yeah, sort of recoup that. Um, so you did, the, you did the outfit for Adelaide that year? Yeah. On and so, off field? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I didn't, not, not my design because it all came from, from head office. Yep. Um, yeah, but, uh, in general, yeah, that was, um, that was all sort of managed by me at the time as best I could. 
Um, <laughs> um, it didn't really do it that well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which was which is really disappointing because I, I still am a really big uh, fan of Adelaide United. Um, I think the product was okay, but uh, certainly the the Australian licensee um, didn't really do the right thing by the club or myself. Um, and in the end, they declared themselves um, into voluntary administration. Gotcha. And then restarted the next day with the brother-in-law's name, with almost the same name. And uh, not the first or last time <laughs> that would happen in this industry, no, is it? No, not at all. It's, I mean, it's, it's it's a real shame because um, I think that was a at the time. I think that brand had a bit of potential to go a bit further than they had. Um, and Adelaide was probably a good market for it. Yep. Um, and especially having having a football-specific brand in the A-League, um, I thought that was there was value in that as well. So, um, yeah, that was that was that was an experience that probably cost me. Well, in the end, I was owed about ten grand when when that went under. Um, Not a good experience for you, by <laughs> the sounds of it. <laughs> oh no, it wasn't. It wasn't, and it also like so over the years I've done. Through our my other work, I'd done a little bit of work with you know Adelaide United when they needed embellishments and sponsors and names and things and um, you know even even t-shirts printed up and and all that kind of stuff and it was it was really cool to be involved in that as you know as a supporter and um, yeah and something passionate about the sport and in our city and um, yeah it was sort of I remember you know the um, the Italian crew coming across to meet with Adelaide United uh, at some point we, we'd gone in there and guys come guys come over from Sydney from from the uh, you know the Australian uh, licensee and we we're there the four of us and um, basically our liaison with the club sitting down with us the CEO walks in and he just gave us like the biggest spray I've ever had in my work <laughs> right. And and like like no one else said anything. And as soon as as soon as he stopped, he just walked out, and closed the door. And I'm like, <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I mean, look. In, in essence, we deserved it, right? Um, but that was pretty hard to take as someone who felt something for the club, you know, and um, and had been let down severely. Yep. By by uh, by the guys that licensed it in Australia. So. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so uh, the the brutal reality of the industry sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so at some point you decide to head overseas, yeah? Yeah. So um, after that, I went back into um, seeing what else. I'll just said that there's a bit of continuity there. I'll, I'll give you a little clear timeline. Yep. Jump back into Timo with. Uh, with Black Chrome. Yep. And um and that was that was that was really cool again to see a different setup because we were working with a design team overseas based in the factory. So we would we were more managing um a lot more projects um, and just making making a lot of changes that uh to to things that those design teams were, were fixing up for us and getting them ready for production and, and sending it back and then they would arrive beautiful so that was that was the first time that i dealt with offshore 
uh, production. Yep. And um, so that was that was great as well. That was a great experience. And what um, that that was that was a pretty pretty cool, um, pretty different experience from from definitely what I'd had as with the local producers. Um, Did you find it a bit it was, frustr- frustrating going from working that more hands-on, you know, environment where you you could see things being yeah. manufactured to the offshore experience? Yeah, and in, in, in some ways there was there's there's pros and cons, right? Um, of course, to, to every role, but going from being like having all of that around you all the time. Um, to being in a room with six or seven people and it's sort of quiet and you might take a Skype call or, or something like that. And that was a real sort of shock to me in, in, a, in a sense of like the sort of adrenaline that you would get from, from working in that space. Yep. Um, and of course that was, that was more of what was to come because at that point everyone starts outsourcing and sort of the end of um, in-house manufacturing to some extent, right? There might be still people that offer it at a high price and everything, but in general, everyone was like, okay, we're going to move this offshore from here on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I worked there, and, and I don't know how you guys have found it, but I always felt that design was forever undervalued. So you'd go and say, oh, yeah, guys, I've been here for a couple of years. What's, what's the go? And they say, yeah, we, we, need, we need you back up with some numbers, right? And you're like... What numbers can you get out of me doing the design work and giving you decent design work? Um, you know, or getting things ready for production. And mm-hmm. it's it's only really if you can produce numbers if you if you're in sales, right? So I sort of deviated at that point into a bit of a, a sales role, there, and it just it just didn't work. Didn't for, work for you personally. Uh, well, in any way, it's. it's Black Chrome at that point wasn't a direct to anybody. Um, it was yeah, it's just I'm not a, I'm not a sales guy, and I've got to really believe in what I'm what I'm a part of mm-hmm. to really sell. I think you can't just be like, oh, here's a you know, sell this matchstick. I'm I'm not that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and and in this case, there were already a lot of people that were being supplied by Black Chrome. Um, it just wasn't me and yep i think the results showed that and um and he always said to me like are you really sure you want to take this because i can't i have to replace you as a designer if you take this on i was like well no i, I, I can't be in this room forever you know what i mean <laughs> yeah I for sure part of something bigger so gave the crack didn't work out sort of yeah tail between the legs about that um and then i went to viva or what is now viva Right, we've probably seen them on, on the jets and some other gear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, was then at that point, I'd really kind of worked everywhere that was producing sublimated gear in Adelaide. Yeah. But again, that was, that was another one of those ones where it was family-owned and, um, yeah, everything at that point was offshore again. Still had some great experiences there and, and learned a lot, and, but that leads to... The China expedition because um, we went to one of our suppliers in China to basically streamline, um, you know, the communication, the file transfers, so that we weren't so that what we were creating in Corel 
in Adelaide <laughs> was, was was coming out the other end um, as it should have been. And um, yeah, so so I went there for ten days. Um, really loved that experience as well. But um, they were kind of nudging me after the first four or five days, saying, "Hey, uh, do you want to come over here and do what you're doing for us for all of our Western customers?" and sort of be that person on the ground. I really brushed it off at the time. Like, you know, it's nice to be here for a little bit. And, and um, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a big thing to consider, not something you can um, do off yeah. the cuff. And how so, old were well, you at this point in time? Uh, I guess 30. Yep. Yeah. So, and, and, and uh, like, I mean, it didn't cross my mind at the time like, that that was an option, really. But it was like... Um, yeah, I've been in the industry 12, 12 years or something like that in and, and really locally Adelaide. And as as I mentioned to you um when we were chatting earlier, there was no community, right? It was like okay, everybody knew me from maybe I was you know, had games or functions or whatever, but you didn't really socialise because that was then or you didn't really like have contact with each other because that was that was to be seen to be competition or um yeah it was a bit everyone was a bit protective of of everything in that so back then there was no you know instagram behinds none of that right yeah so you just did what you did and if you bumped into the boss of um <laughs> another company and had a coffee with them you would be definitely um you know brought into the uh your current boss's office. Not that I, not that I did that really until I was actually going to leave or something like that. But yeah. um, it was just not really um, that that socialization between competitors just wasn't there, or there was no community based on on what we were doing. It's what really blew me away about the industry when I, you know, came into it. Like again, we were we were talking before we we hit the record button, but you know, I, I was a bit of a late bloomer into this. I had a whole you know, career sort of underway when I decided that I wasn't really happy where I was and, and to move into the the sports apparel industry. And, you know, I came from an admin and accounting background prior to this. And, you know, it was whilst you would work in a, um, you know, big four accounting firm or you would work in, you know, whatever it was, you're all kind of competing against each other. But at the same time, you, you still networked and you still had, you know, relating, you know, conversations and contacts and stuff like that. Um, you'd, you'd go and do, um, what would they call them? Like, um, you know, where you got to update your skills and stuff like that, like like tax. Uh, this all sounds really exciting, but like, you know, like uh, tax conferences and stuff like that. And you'd, yeah, and you'd go and, and you'd, you know, you used to work with old mate over at this firm here and, and now he works at old mate, you know, at this accounting firm over here, but you'd still go have lunch with each other or, you know, whatever else. And it, it absolutely blew me away and, and frankly, you know, frustrated me when I came into this industry that it was so cutthroat and everything was so, you know, secretive, which, I mean, it still needs to be to some expen- extent, like every company's got an IP, every, you know, company's trying to do something different, get a winning edge. But at the yep. same time, like, there's no reason that you can't all get together for the better of the industry and work out ways that 
you know, collectively we, you know, we, we could be doing things better or we could be taking learnings away from each other so that, you know, the customers are getting a better experience. And, you know, I, I still kind of get that vibe now to some extent that it's, it's still a little bit like that, but, you know, to be honest, it's, it is, you know, the very early stages of what formed my idea for this podcast was to, you know, bring a community of creatives together in the sports apparel, but then also outside um, the apparel industry and, and kind of bridge some of those gaps around, um, you know, the beginnings of, of a network or a community where you could just get together and, and have conversations and, and share frustrations and, and, you know, come up with resolutions from an industry perspective or point of view so um you know it's it's kind of good and sad to hear at the same time that your experiences are somewhat the same yeah i think that's i think it's normal that up until now that uh that there was no real contact and it's really yeah as i said in uni then i was the only guy interested in design and sport and then yeah. in those in those um uh in those roles then i would be the only person like headstrong into both design and sport rather than being interested in sales or some other role you know so um yeah it sort of lent itself to any time you had a conversation with someone from another um another company in the industry or somebody else involved that it, people were protective of that yeah so you then start to consider this offer that um the mob offshore presented to you yeah so basically, in the end, they they offered me again. Um, I thought, well, at that point, I was really like, um, I had an interview with BLK mm-hmm. at the time. Um, thankfully, I didn't take that. But I had um, I'd sort of always thought like, okay, at that point, BLK and IRC were massive, right? Huge. So it was sort of the peak of their, of their license um, assets. Basically, the entire AFL and NRL was between those two. Um, and so they had a job in Melbourne, and, and we got about sort of 15 minutes into the interview, and they said, like, oh, what are your, what are your um, salary expectations? Right? And I said, yeah, well, you're asking me to really get to Melbourne, da 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 And I gave them pretty reasonable. I think it was like, it was probably only like 15% on what I was earning in Adelaide, right? Mm-hmm. And... And they were just like, oh, let's stop the call. I was like, <laughs> uh, yeah, cool. Let's stop the call then. Because I can't fucking move to Melbourne on like no, like no money, right? Like Peanuts, yeah. yeah. Adelaide at that stage probably still is. But it was, it was way more affordable than, than Melbourne. And it was, it, was, it was absolutely fucking peanuts. Like if, 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 if I'd known that, I wouldn't even have been too. But Personally anyway. insulted. <laughs> Well, insulted in the way they did it. If they just kind of said, like, oh, hey, look, let's get going, but we'll make an offer and I, and I don't want to disappoint you, but it won't be, it won't be that, right? Yeah. They've got to get going. And at least you can sort of share your level of experience and, and maybe they think, oh, this guy can bring value to the, to the business, but to sort of be like, nah, we don't have that. But you're, uh, but you're sort of, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they were just absolutely pissing because of money up the wall. So on all the licenses that they were buying and um, and the assets that they were locking themselves into. So, yeah, it was a bit of a shock to hear that from someone from a company that was spending a lot of money that uh, that they didn't want to invest in design. But that's what I kept finding, right? 
is that yeah. no one wanted to invest in design. And and that sort of answers your question from before, Mason, like if my career was to progress. It's like so um kind of touch base with you know friend of a friend that was at IC and stuff as well, thinking like okay, I'll give just a crack in there and if I hear nothing, then <laughs> what am I gonna do? Yeah. And um and and then said trying to offer again calling again and then um then I discussed that. Yeah. Um <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> and, and, yeah, it was I mean that was pretty full on because at the time I had a long term girlfriend. Um I lived with her. I think I just started living with her. And um I don't feel like there's there's much that's going on for me work wise here. Um she started she stayed back um on the proviso that I came back after two years. Yep. And we took back and forth um in the first year or so. But um basically my idea was like I'm not gonna get anything beyond the experience that I have now in Adelaide. I've got to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And um and that was China and, and the basically the idea was like IC will take my call if I come back after two years in China. Yeah. Right. That was that was in your mindset or that was something that yeah. was kind of that was your mindset. No, that wasn't yeah. that wasn't hinted or anything. Yeah. It was just like I can come back with with an experience yeah. that nobody else has. Uh, well nobody else is coming back to Australia and having. Yeah. Um and um yeah. And so, I mean uh yeah, it was it was sort of a life changing decision, absolutely. Huge. Huge. Yeah. I couldn't imagine you know, I'm very much a homebody. I couldn't imagine making that call. <laughs> yeah. But obviously you did it. Yeah, yeah. And um <laughs> recounting that experience is is absolutely insane. You know, the things that happened to me sort of six, seven years ago or the things that I went through or the things that I experienced. It was it was just madness. Yeah. But again, I, I wouldn't be able to do or have had the experiences during that or after had I not jumped on the plane. Yeah, for sure. Matt, I am conscious of time. I think we've we've clicked over about the, the halfway point and we've still got a hell of a lot to go. Um, yeah. So why don't you just give us a, a brief idea of, of your time in China? Maybe there's some anecdotes there that are, that are worth talking about because there are a few other things that I really want to make sure that we, we touch on too. So you make your way to China. What's your experiences there? Yeah. So to get some context to that, there was a, like it was, it was in like factory based role, right? Yep. So production manager, but on on the floor. Yeah. Um, and basically, you know, our suppliers would call up and say, "Hey, what's going on here? Can you suss out if this is possible?" Or yeah, and and I would sort of also reach out to a lot of companies and say, hey, here, I'm here on the floor so you can be that bridge because a lot of the communication, even with uh, merchandisers, was um, was not with the native speaker. Um, so it was an advantage to our company to have me on the floor there um, communicating mm-hmm. directly. Um, and, yeah, it was it, yeah, just everything in-house again um, and just a totally different world, totally different world. Like, I was the only... Um, it was the only native English speaker. It was the only non-Chinese speaker. Um, and it was sort of quite far out from, from the city of Shanghai itself. Um, 
it. So the first, yeah, <laughs> you can imagine the, the, the sort of craziness in shoes there, right? I can't but, even imagine. I have so many questions. I hope I hope you're comfortable if we go right. a bit over because I've got so many questions. So how do you even how do you even cope with that? You rock up day one. You don't speak native tongue. Yeah. They have limited well, English back. So how do you operate? So the owners had lived in Australia before and they'd set it up basically to um, supply Aussie rules jumpers back into Australia. Yep. And it had just sort of expanded from there and it was kind of going gangbusters. And during my time, we did like every sport you could possibly imagine. Greco, Roman wrestling, name it. We did yep. it, right. We did costumes for Disneyland's um, performances <laughs> in Shanghai. We did, you know, um, yeah. Everything. Yeah. Um, uh, but so, so the English level was to a certain degree good from the, from the owners and from the merchandisers because that was their role. They had to have a certain level of English before before they could they could jump on that. So, so to a certain extent, that was okay. But um, but you didn't get any of the background noise, right? So I definitely got fed what I was meant to be fed. <laughs> yeah. For, for a lot of also considered like like an outsider as as I was, um, yeah. and 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 not someone not to be trusted, but not someone to divulge everything to, you know, the sort of need to know basis kind of stuff a lot of the time. So that was really hard to work around and to to understand, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it was it was it was really difficult. But um, yeah, it was kind of yeah. I'll tell you about my probably the weirdest experience. Go on. So I've, I've signed on, beautiful, talked to one of the owners and um, his wife was in Shanghai, but he was the one that had always been making me the offer. We set on a salary and the conditions and the conditions were that they were, were going to set me up for combination. And that was part of it. Um, and when I got there, they were like, yeah, no worries, come and stay with us. Gated, gated community, um, you know, all the meals provided you know, dri- driven to and from work and all of that. And, of course, it means you have to leave when they leave, but yeah. it was fine. It was, you know, I was there by myself. It was um, just getting used to it all. But at the time, I said, like, okay, I've got a, I've got a trip overseas um, booked for August, right, to, to Europe for the whole month. Like, do you want to just start at the end of August or should I come for July and then take that month off and then come back? And and he said, come for the month and then go, right? See if you enjoy it. See what you think. And you can not a, not necessarily a trial period, but if it doesn't work out, you can you can tell us that it's, that it's not for you. Yeah. Um, and I thought, okay, cool. Well, then we're going to go on this on this um, <laughs> on this holiday. And I go at the time, my girlfriend would have stabbed me if I'd said like, oh, yeah, a, I'm moving to China, and b, we're not going to Europe anymore. Like, yeah, I'm probably stab myself as well. But, um, but basically, so I, I did. I tried to do a lot of groundwork and familiarisation with processes and trying to understand that. And it was it was a headache because people didn't want to show what they were and were were or weren't doing, mm-hmm. um, and then and to sort of claim any of that. So basically, that month was just really understanding process and um but i got back right 
So basically, yeah, I'd been staying at their house, right? And I got back and, um, you know, straight from the airport, bags on, straight to my desk and just started working. And everyone was a bit standoffish. Like, even all the merchandisers, everybody spoke English, everyone was a bit weird. And I thought, okay, cool, like, what's going on here? Um, you know, I'm a pretty friendly guy and pretty, uh, you know, jovial most of the time. Was pretty keen, came back with the tan, all that kind of stuff. Um, and but yeah, everyone was really distant and and then really not sharing anything with me or sort of you know, even telling me what was going on with any jobs or anything. So I thought it was a bit strange, but then at a certain point, um, you know, one of the family members that lived in the same house he got up to leave, and I was like, um, are you going now? And he was he just said, said yeah, 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 we're going now. And I was like, um, I just, I, was, I said, I'll just quick grab myself. He said, uh, what do you mean? And I was like, you know, I'll grab myself and we'll go together. And he's like, hasn't anyone talked to you? And I was like, no. And he's like, yeah, you're, you're not staying with us anymore. <laughs> right? And I'm like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> He's like, no, you're not staying with us. Like, no one, no one talked to you, right? And I said, no, no one, no one has talked to me today. Like, I've just been trying to find my own way. And he's, and he's gone. Yeah, right. I'm not going to say because it's not my place to say it. But someone needs to talk to you because you're not staying with us anymore. And and like he was like the nephew of the owner or whatever. And so I thought, oh man, what's going on? And there, there was, there was like a room, right, in the factory, like. And a bed and stuff. But that <laughs> Here was, we go. That was no deal. And like we had, we had, we had our meals cooked on site. Like every every employee had like lunch cooked for them and dinner as well. Actually, yeah, that's cool. Um, and so, so there was a massive kitchen, but the shower was behind the kitchen. Right. So we're talking like you know like a massive factory, right? Like industrial sized kitchen. In China, so you know it's not quite the kind of uh, cleanliness you'd associate with kitchen back home, and, and and no disrespect in any of this, right? But then the shower behind it, which was pretty infrequently used, I reckon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it was it, it was fucked, right? And I had no <laughs> idea what was going on at all. It was just it was just a massive nightmare. So. Like I just sort of went through the process, and I'm not one to really, um, I don't know, sort of put my chest out and say like, "No, nah, I deserve better than this." Very quickly, um, and um, I think there's some questions about regrets and stuff, and that's definitely in there career-wide. Yeah. Um, so I kind of gave it a couple of days of like, "Okay, I'm just sussing this out. How are they going to come to me and tell me like, you know, culturally?" culturally zero knowledge of what I should be and should, shouldn't be doing in that space, right? So, you know, t- just did it a few days and then I, then I just, like, snapped and I called a meeting. I was just like, what is going on, right? And basically, culturally, no one, you know, you get your Chinese New Year off, right? That break, everyone goes off and there's another couple of days and weekends in the year that you get off. Yeah. Travelling for a month, is unheard of. Yeah. Right. No one gets to do that. Like you couldn't even do that as the bosses. You couldn't like, do you know what I mean? Like it's just not 
yeah. Yeah. Culturally accepted, right? Um, and basically no other employee would have that. So I'd gone there for a month and then went away for a month. Month, yeah. And it was just really, I think it was a really bad look for that to be entertained for everybody else in the company, for me to be kind of welcomed back. So, um, and basically, so that the discussion was around like, oh, you know, your performance in the first month wasn't what we expected and da 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 da, da. And, and, But there was more behind that to sort of make a show of it all. Yeah. And they, I mean, I kind of just went along with it. Yeah, okay, cool, whatever. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and then, but then they also like dropped my salary. <laughs> all right, yeah. okay. And I was like, okay, this is, this is fucking crazy. But yeah, I had a lot of, friends from all over the place back home especially through playing soccer in adelaide and stuff um i played for the university team for a number of years and you know, i had chinese mate that was luckily he was over there not in shanghai but at least i could just call him and say mate what's going on he was like mate this is crazy shit especially to do to a foreigner yep. i was like oh, okay cool i'm getting getting a bit of a strange experience here but um we'll make the best of it but um you know so i just i just went along with it found my own place pretty quick um and then tried to try to kind of get back on course and just get the most of that um experience and see what happened yeah and so how did that go from then on in did you kind of repair that repair that um and um, in the end i was there for two years right um but i think i think about like eight months in or nine months in i just rocked up one day and they were like oh come here we got to talk to you about something. I was like, okay, what's what's next? Yeah, um, and they and they just like after my salary by like forty five percent. Oh, without wow. me asking. <laughs> so you'd obviously been doing some things right by that point in time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was sort of like I don't think that the that the value was more obvious, of course, but it wasn't that I was, you know, I was just more used to everything that was going on and just had more knowledge of, of For what sure. needed to be done. And the yep. processes and being able to influence more, it wasn't that I mean it all balanced out, right? And all of the all of the crazy things that went through it. But um yeah, that was one of them as well. So oh, yep. okay, yeah, sure. I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> so you um so what I suppose what were some of the, the day-to-day stuff that you were doing in that role in that role over there? Um yeah, I, yeah, it was just a lot of communication with, with the Western clients. Um and yeah, that would, so my day-to-day was sort of dealing with that and making sure that um, different parts of the process, checking samples, um, helping out with audits. Audits is full. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> 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 so, yeah, I was doing audits for um, Disney and stuff like that. Um, and look, a lot, of, a lot of visits as well from... Um, from our customers because they want to come and see when their big projects come through. Yeah. Um, collect samples and make adjustments and things like that. Um, yeah. yeah, just all, all of the above and more. M- making sure you're all sound from a product point of view, but also from a manufacturing point of view too, I imagine. Making sure you're sticking with those certifications and um, yep. you're working yep. class conditions or all those type of things. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, so then, okay, let, let's quickly touch on classic football. Classic football yeah, shirts, sure. yeah? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, so tell us about your time there. Yeah, so um, in the end, uh, we came in contact um, 
and then we had a lot of discussion about what I knew about, um, you know, football and, and uh, shirt suppliers in, in Asia. Um, mm-hmm. And then they were keen to explore that, basically, from a purchasing um, side of things. And before before that, they were really mostly a vintage um, seller. Mm-hmm. And to this day, that's still the, the forte um, and buying dead stock and, you know, just not, not really competing with your JD Sports or your um, yeah, soccer.coms and things like that. It was really like, okay, this is where you go to find niche old shirts. Oh, I need a Leeds shirt from 1994 or a Man United shirt from 85. Like, this is probably the place you're going to find it. Um, and what my role was to find sort of crazy designs that maybe hadn't really been discussed in the wide market yet um, and make sure that they they had stock of those. Yep. So starting to ob- obtain some of those more modern designs that wouldn't necessarily be considered part of that in that historic era quite yet. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Well, yeah, but it could also be, yeah, not necessarily modern, to be fair. It was just like probably the perfect example is like Ford Madison, right? I think I've sent you guys before. We've had the discussion about Ford Madison before. Yes, you have. Um, where that was like a, a US team and they don't have a proper football period like England and, and, and European countries. It's a bit like Australia where you have the clothes shop at the top and everybody else can do what they want. Yeah. Right? And Ford Madison just, you know, they, they got a really um, superb designer that had some crazy ideas that, that really worked for them. Um, and they just had these bold, uh, bold kits that uh, really stood out from everything else that was sort of, especially in the MLS at that time. Um, and I think that uh, that was probably the most successful seller of what, what I brought across. But um, that was sort of the, yeah, I think that's the kind of the ideal thing was to find something like that that really, really stood head and shoulders above what was available in the market elsewhere and made people talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so it really a buyers, buyer-sell market, yeah, like someone as uneducated in this space as, as me, that's really what it was. You were sourcing stuff to on-sell or more to kind of keep a uh, a history of? No, nah, we, we definitely put it. So there was times that I came across historical um, shirts on on my way, right? And then they might have buy them and keep them in the in the museum um, aspect of their business, um, which would then tour around different cities and exhibitions and things like that, and which was awesome to to be at. Right? Is I mean, for a Jersey nerd, it's like heaven to see what they have. And if you ever get the chance to be in Manchester. Um, you know, I think, I mean, they have slave stores in London and Manchester and stuff still, but the, the warehouse they have, um, the views of that are just phenomenal. And there was nothing really creative about my role in the space, right? But it was just about finding brands and clubs and um, old stock of, of, of kits that were creative, yeah, right? And that were out of the box um, and, and just going from there. And, and just making sure that we that we got them on and sold them quickly, basically. Yeah, not holding them for them for too long. What what were some of the the 
a notable kind of kits or uniforms that you you came across or you know quirky designs yeah there's for for example yeah so the Fort Madison one was was pretty on the money um there was there was a time we bought kits from uh, I'm not even sure how to say the city but it was the birthplace of Lenin Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they they put a picture of Lenin on on the kit for his hundred and twenty first birthday or something. Wow. Right. And so we bought some of that, right? And <laughs> that was pretty full on. I think the there was there was a couple of times that like we had discussions like, oh, do we don't we? Um, where's the line? here like is something too political or um and that one snuck through i think but there yeah. was there was a time you know i was discussing with um you know guys with had a club in east timor well they had a brand in in indonesia that had also made shirts for team in east timor and they'd obviously been formed after the the conflict right because their logo was like like a photo right yeah. of like skulls in in the ground and far out and it's just like and you know like so you get this um this suite let's say of, of 10 jerseys that this brand is doing in indonesia and east and it's like this one it's like oh yeah no we can't we can't buy that guys yeah um so yeah there was pretty some pretty uh pretty crazy designs along the way and some things that didn't get through but um but yeah it was a, it was it was awesome, actually. I think it's the most rewarding um, role that I had. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I think I think because it wasn't selling, right? It was it was like contacting people and being like, "I get it. You know, I I, I see what you're doing. It's awesome. I want it. We want to share it with the world." You're sharing right? your passion rather than you know fighting for certain it, things. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, it's just something you love. Yeah, and and so people, I think, I think felt that in a, in a lot of ways, and you know, you'd find a brand that was doing, I don't know, six division teams in um, the Ukraine or third division team in in Wales, um, you know, that was sponsored by a local brewery that had blown up out of control, and just those kind of things, like the people that were involved in those projects was so keen to to share it and pumped that you would want to buy bulk of um of what they were creating so mm-hmm. i think that was it was always sort of an unexpected bonus if i called you know yeah it wasn't like sure cold calling someone to to sell them something it's like hey guys we love what you're doing let's get it out to the world and i mean the, the, the pool of classic football shows was was massive as well and still is you know it's 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 absolutely the biggest by far of in its in its field so um um <laughs> it was uh it, it was cool to be able to go and um and bring a smile to a lot of people and um also to see the reactions when they when they went live with with these crazy designs so yeah i'm um I've been to the store in London and I'm off to Europe again later this year. So I'll try and get to the museum in Manchester. I haven't been there yet. so Mate, um, one of the things that we've kind of touched on a couple of times and I know that you've messaged us on it is kind of the, the departmental roles that take place in 
you know, as you kind of said, family run or small or medium type businesses to compared to uh, quote unquote, the big boys. Um, in your experience, what, how have you found kind of the segregation of staff roles or departments and that, you know, managing that or the opportunities of that fluidity across um, multiple elements of design, um, sourcing, manufacturing, et cetera? Is that, you know, the, the things that we've experienced and we've kind of speculated, is that, is that run true? Or do you find if you're in a certain department, you're not really getting your hands on other sides? So if you're a designer, um, you, you're you're not really touching heat seals or you know fabrics and, no, and those exactly, type of things. Exactly. And, and in a lot of cases, you might not ever touch a product, right? That of a project that you're involved in. Um, whereas you know what we used to, it's really sort of hands on. And if you wanted to change something or you wanted to suggest something, you're there next to that person. Um, and and you could probably have that conversation very easily without booking a meeting to talk to them and their superiors, so and so. Yeah, it's 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 a really different uh, dynamic. Um, yeah, actually, yeah. I mean, if you work in a company that has thousands of employees, then it's very different to working with one that has forty. Yeah. Um, so could we could uh, we throw a hypothetical out for a minute here? We're we're designing a, an Adidas kit for said team for uh, FIFA World Cup. Um, we're getting silicon badges. We're getting fonts on numbers on the back. We're getting a sublimated design, perhaps, or maybe we're getting some sort of what's the technical term? We've always said woven, but I don't think that's quite right. Like if you're putting a pattern inside. You're putting a pattern into the weave yeah, of the fabric. Yeah. yeah, woven. So, yep. Yeah. So, all of those different things would be responsible for different departments. And you're, as a designer, you are worried about the sublimated aspect, or you're worried about the. We're running with a new, a new woven pattern for the next two cycles, two year cycle, or whatever. You know, this is what we're designing, or this is the cut of the jersey that we're going to go with. Is that like where does it, in your experience, where does that kind of separate? Yeah, it's it's it's, it's all sort of separated, and when yeah, there's so, there's so many people in that process yep. that you just named. Yep. In in, in my current situation. Um, Whereas in you know, in the past it might have been two or three, or you might have sort of reported into to one person as a group. Um, no, there's that's there's probably ten people involved in what you've just suggested. Incredible. Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does that take some of the sort of someone would deal with trims? Someone would potentially approve any new colours. Um, the designer would create a design. It would be somebody else's um, responsibility to make sure that that works on the um, on the match day wear and on the retail without sort of um, going too far away from the original um, yeah all of that it so, would be would be fall on a lot of different people to to make that work yeah you're saying to make that work but you also said a designer so it, would there be a designer who's saying I am going to put a 3d silicon badge i am going to put you know purple trim on the sleeves product development yeah right okay that's something i find you know like 
you and I, Mason, probably we're so used to it and we want to be involved in the whole process of, you know, helping with the pattern making and choosing what silicon badges and, and the trims and, you know, mm. what's embossed. And then yeah. if you're just That's narrowed okay. into one part of that process, it, yeah. it's so alien to us, but also you almost want to be in the whole thing. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, it's some, some clubs have like, you know, three tiers of a football show or something like that, you know, like they can be yeah. in, in, in countries like Brazil or whatever, where you'd have like a, you know, you know, to top level, you got your standard retail and you have a basic as well. So yeah, it's, it's sort of, it would be someone's idea, someone give you inspiration and then you run with that as a designer and then you would put that across, someone else would put that across the, uh, the total um, suite really. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And make sure that works yeah it's it's a totally different world to to my previous experiences for yeah. sure and and what would your observations be on uh the impact of qualifications or or um you know a, a previous education for you know coming into a, a role or you know being recruited or promoted in yeah none um <laughs> my my um my other than just being on my resume to say that I went to uni, it could have been it might as well have been anything really. I'm like could have done a degree in digging holes, right? <laughs> um the, the, well the paid right here. Uni, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> maybe it pays better, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it basically from the best thing that came out of university for my career in um sporting apparel was that my colleague that didn't care about sport wanted to leave her job at at, uh, at sports center in the, back in the day had had i not had that direct in at that point maybe it would have still ended up a couple of years later or something but i would have gone and tried to you know be a bit like everyone else and do these internships and doing crazy long hours and just working with InDesign and and Photoshop and Illustrator and all that kind of stuff and sitting sitting in some studio and getting paid absolutely check all um and I had to become a turfed out in two years and then go oh god and then go back to um you know postgrad or something like that. That kind of seemed the 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 path for everyone that I went to uni with. Um but yeah that didn't really that didn't really fit me either. So um yeah the best thing to come out of the university unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah. For the way that my career went was that it led to me getting my first job, it's... which I probably, by the looks of it, probably could have walked in on the, off the street and asked for it if I had a bit, been a bit more, you know, a bit more proud of uh, what I was capable <laughs> of. Yeah. If it's something that I've definitely learned, it's, it's your networking. It, you know, obviously you've got to work hard and you've got to be good at what you do, but at the end of the day, yeah, you've got to open the doors and to do that, you've got to be talking to people, meeting people, um, just, you know, familiarizing yourself with the industry. Um, do you find that now that you're in the industry, there are things that you, uh, your observations or opinions on, you know, self-improvement or professional development? Like, you know, I think we've been talking, you've kind of been in this since the the mid 2000s right you constantly educating yourself or does that come naturally as part of the role 
um, you're doing workshops, you know, their the learnings that you're taking over, you know, a, f- a couple of years, um, you know, to, to improve your professional abilities? That's a really, that's a really good question and a really tough one to, um, to answer. And it's funny because in the past, found it really easy to be like, okay, I've been here at two, this, this place for two years. I've maxed out this role. I'm not going to learn anything else. I need a new situation where I'm going to learn something or a different dynamic or, you know, working with offshore uh, production, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I sort of always felt stagnant pretty quick. And it wasn't, it was because nothing was offered from an outside point of view of like education or, you know, yeah, we're going to send you to do this course to improve this or whatever. But basically, once you get to um, a certain level of production management and all that, you just wish that you'd spent your whole life on on spreadsheets and <laughs> <laughs> and that you were like like this, uh, um, you know, software whiz as well as having this as a passion. That would have helped me out a lot, to be honest. Because oh, Excel is that's, amazing, that's, right? Well. Yeah, <laughs> you know, or, or you know, variants of of that kind of uh, of that kind of software, or you know, tracking projects and things like that. If you don't have a familiarization with that, then you really struggle. And certainly, when I jumped into this this kind of role, it was like, oh yeah, you know, like that's that would have come in handy. But like along the way, no one's like, hey, we're gonna um we're going to offer this to you and probably i could have uh, been a bit more vocal about what i'd like to do and um to to sort of better myself but then in some cases i would just feel stagnant and feel like okay time to move on and um and find find someone that's offering more and um yeah in the end it kind of comes full circle and says hey how about you just go back to some uh some production management software. Then <laughs> <laughs> uh, your Corel skills. Uh, you've wasted all those years in Corel, being a sort of jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, then it kind of hits you in the face and says, "Hey, remember, remember Microsoft Office. Remember this. Remember this. Yeah. All these, uh, everything you learned about, um, you know, a lot of custom softwares that was been set up along the way for production management. So, yeah." Those kind of things have been really, um, really necessary at this at this stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds stupid, right, to say like those basic things because I think everybody has a has a basic understanding of that and, and can get through that. But um, once I deviated away from from uh, design, it was only really going to go one way into sort of overseeing a lot of production. For um, sure. But no one really was like, "Hey, we're going to make this make you a sort of expert on." The software we're going to give you time it's just like and you just yeah. on your toes all the time um chasing things and you sort of learn on the job that's 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 probably that's probably the biggest thing i can say uh, about like about that course not, not that it's a course but the, yeah the career course yeah has just been so just go 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 it's always been no time to 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 sort of take a step out and improve this, gonna learn it as we go, and uh, and make sure that it uh, works out in the end. Make sure mm. everything gets out of time. 
and the local the local bowls ladies get their gear yes yeah learning on the fly uh professional get shit done um generally falls under uh that job title doesn't it um mate you've you've got a massive jersey collection um and i've got a few questions on it but i i have a feeling you know we might need to wrap this up soon so what i'm going to do is i'm going to put a pin in the collection and we're going to get you back on for another time to talk about that um, if you do, okay. if you don't mind, there are a couple more questions. If that's okay. Um, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking for some personal opinions now, rather than professional ones. Uh, what do you think makes a good jersey design, um, and perhaps some, you know, critical elements of what what is a good design, or just overall what makes a great jersey? It's it's always going to have like its moment in time, right? And um, it's it, it's tough to say, right? But you, you've got to be able to have it. It's got to have longevity and it's also got to represent that moment it's kind of like you know we talk about timeless logos and stuff but most of the time you can still say that's a timeless logo but it's from the 80s yep or it's from the 90s or it's from now and we hope that it'll be timeless um and, and and other things have been dated but i think in general when we talk about um what a good design can be my my priority i guess is what it looks like on field, complete, and how that also uh, balance between that and and still being able to look great when being worn in the street mm-hmm. by supporters to the games and things like that. So, um, well, I, I use this example, right? <laughs> I know that uh, the US uh, national team from kit from the last World Cup got smashed. Right, it was like the one where they tried to make it a bit more like a this is for football, right? For soccer, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is a white-based one, white, heavily white-based white one. Based, but they tried to do it with the they tried to make it like a NFL or hockey jersey style. They kind of tried to yeah, tried to base it on that. Right, the twenty twenty two one. Sorry, yeah, yep. yeah. So they tried to make it in that way, and I'm not saying this is an exceptional design, just that the they had an idea um, and so in some sense it works, but what they totally, totally stuffed up is what goes on that jersey for a match day. Mm. Mm-hmm. So when you put the World Cups on it, they did those swooshes on the sleeves, right, to sort of mimic the way it's on an NFL jersey. Uh, NFL, yep. And then that has got the World Cup patch on it, right? Yep. They did a centralised logo, right? But then the women have to wear it, and they're the world champions. So they have a gold patch that sits off center. Yeah. Then you've got a centralized badge, swoosh underneath, and this gold, this gold um, world champions badge, like off kilter. I think you can design whatever you what you want, like as a t-shirt or for fan wear or whatever. But when it's when it's on the field, I think the the real um, real way to judge that is when it's complete. So. I know you guys are pretty scathing on on some of the Women's World Cup uh, jerseys that came out recently and really positive about the really busy ones, right? But I always try to re- sort of reserve my judgment or like my official judgment, let's say, until you see that properly on the pitch or get it up. Patches and all and say like, okay, look, they've done a really good job of still telling that story with all the business on it, you know? Yeah, I 100% agree with you, mate, there. And uh, I think even... It might have been last episode or the episode before where we were, I posed the question to you, Nick, around, you know, 
a design without sponsors on it and a lot of criticism around certain sponsors that end up on apparel but it's like people actually vote that they're worse when there's no sponsor at all versus a bright green box or a bright orange box on on a design it kind of takes an element away from it um which yeah so absolutely fair answer i think uh what what are some of your favorites like all time go go on all time yep all time some of your most favorite jersey designs um the one he's wearing (laughs) (laughs) have we mentioned that on air i know we 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 talked about it but was that before we hit the red light might have been might have been um yeah so this is the grinchians um third where they pay tribute to um winning their club world cup in tokyo 10 10 years before Mm -hmm. and just basically covered it with japanese lettering that says we are grinchians but in, in uh in Japanese, and it's you know it's that off off white that's uh, been prevalent for the last couple of years and been done pretty well. Unfortunately, it's probably probably not going to keep going. But I think that some of the clubs did a really good job of it, um, and and this one's one of those examples. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, all time. Oh yeah. So I reckon this is probably maybe surprising, but I reckon the Phoenix Suns mid nineties. Is like the best sporting kit of all time. So if I go Phoenix Suns '95, yeah, '95 I think is when that came in. Um, I reckon that's pretty. It's like that's the start of sublimation coming in, but they didn't overdo it. You know, it was some things went like far too crazy with 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 that being available to them. Yep, and I think this is just classic. They've re-released it this this season as well. Mm-hmm. Um, was I that the that... um the like leveled gradient sun one, or just the the purple with the big? Yeah, it's like the diagonal uh, the the sun with the basketball within the yeah yeah within the, within the sun. Yeah, um, right. So if you look at and if you look at their the time the jersey timeline, I guess they sort of hit that sweet spot there, and they never got close to it again. Everything everything from there till now, in my opinion. It's like not even close. It's very nineties though, too, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I yeah. don't feel that it's dated. Like they wear it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, like as the as their third or sort of alternate uh, alternate kit. I just I just think that's look, it was sort of sort of the peak of everybody's interest in basketball as well because of you know Jordan's era and they were quite successful and the Suns. I think that yeah, they made the finals once. Yep. So there's an element of there's always an element of um, success that contributes to an iconic design as well. That, we, that is obviously out of everybody's control, except for those on the field. Um, yeah, but I, I reckon that's up there. That's mm-hmm. that's for me. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, neat. And more recently, the uh, the Tokyo Olympics. Oh, Mason will be thrusting. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Mason will be throffing at oh, this. Oh, what? What from the Tokyo Olympics? So there was a, like a Nike SB, so the skateboarding um, a offshoot of Nike. It did a collaboration with a Dutch designer called Para, and so the Nike assets such as Japan, Brazil, France, USA. Maybe I'm missing one other. Yes. Um, 
they had these fantastic designs um, that were worn in the skating events. And um, yeah, I'm totally in love with this Japanese one. I think that's the best of a lot, but I think they're all magnificent. White white base with kind of different um, abstract shapes. Yeah, I think it's nearly like the the Japanese flag on the left shoulder. Yeah, the yeah. flag or the Olympic Committee crests on the on the on the um, on the chest as well. But the just yeah. yeah, just love that. I just love that integration of okay. Not a lot of there's a lot of collaborations right these days. Yep. Yeah, not all of them hit the mark or or seem kind of relevant to the sport. I think especially with skateboarding being an Olympics, like can't just you know if you had like if you look at what ASICs did for Australia, you can't chuck that on the on skateboarders. You know, it, it's and I think that's that's quite common for a lot of the Olympic range. It's it's not really in that space. Mm-hmm. I think it's just mix it up perfectly, great colours, um, you know, story told in imagery about the country that it represents. Yeah. yeah. What do you think are some that are overrated? I think I think the first thing that comes to mind is like some some clubs get too too deep into it and kind of just don't take it any further. I think maybe that has happened a little bit with Venezia. <laughs> yes. In a football sense. Yes. Um yeah, and I mean, to, to be fair, I I have one from a couple of years back, and 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 love the range. And I think that when you have co- like unique colours, like you know, like that orange, that green, there's always um, an opportunity to do something fantastic with it. Um, and you're gonna you always talk about swings and misses on this uh, podcast. Yeah. This should almost be the title. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think I think that they kind of just got like full head of steam, and yeah, I think they just took it a little bit too far. And if they in a couple of seasons, they'll probably go back to having a bit of different ideas and not being so focused on making a fashion mm-hmm. based. Um, yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's, it's it's not a bad kit, but people are losing their minds over it still. And I think that it's just the momentum of what came before that has taken it onto that pedestal. Yeah, um, I definitely think. Last season's kit was much stronger than this season's home. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's the not, V and the dots rather than anything. just the, the two stripes. Yeah, and I'm all for like, everybody exploring that aspect and making the club have some personality in its kits. And for but sure. uh, I think that the the, the attention because you're talking about being overrated. I think, I think the attention that it got is is well beyond what the kit itself is. Yeah. Um, and I think also, like every city kit from NBA at the moment as well. Going down, like, that. yeah, it's, it's, yeah. That's 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 Ryan's course, in my opinion. Um, yeah, put that on ice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fair call. I think we did re- we did a preliminary review when they came online, didn't we? And we looked at them, and there might have only been one or two. Nick, that you and I were really even semi interested in um it's yeah it's, like you say it's probably time to put the queue in the rack for a while and, and come back later almost yeah, seems a few things like that eh? with our conversations over the last few weeks with Anzac round. Yeah. yeah 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 i feel that no no offense by the way because the, the cowboys one you did it's pretty sweet 
given that, given <laughs> what you're. No, for real. I'm not just saying that because you're on here, right? But like, if you're in this day and age, and someone's like, okay, we're gonna do this full. We we want a full sublimated design. Like we're not just gonna stick. Um, you know, the the Anzac uh, shield on. It's pretty it's pretty tough to not not go where someone where anyone's gone before. Yeah, yeah. So, it's funny, yeah, because yeah. that was probably the one I was most like eh on <laughs> of the three. I sort yeah. of knew the other two were where I wanted to be, and then Cowboys was the one where what we had sort of pushed ourselves in house was sort of rejected by the NRL. Um, club was all on board, and then. So we had to switch last minute, and I think we we ended up in a pretty good spot as well. Just talking on um, Venezia, um, what's your perspective on football jersey culture, um, particularly being over there too in in Europe, and and what is its impact with fashion and you know that that urban scene? Is it as is it as trendy as it's made out to be? Do you think? I- I think the fact that we just saw Kim Kardashian in an AS Roma shirt from yeah, the late nineties, other football clubs and stuff like that's it. <laughs> see, that's the thing. And, and uh, on the run sheet, I put this note, and it says like it's a it's a bit weird, right? To to see that and think, okay, Kim Kardashian is wearing a shirt that would piss my missus off if I wore it to go to the cafe further. <laughs> like, like if, if, if honestly, if I put that on and we're gonna go and go and get a coffee, she'd be like, "What are you wearing?" Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, so there is this kind of, I don't know. It feels a bit weird to be a Jersey nerd and and see that kind of part of it, or you know, this collaboration with Off White or um, Gucci, Louis Vuitton, whoever. Right? Like that space intersecting with sports jerseys is interesting, but at the same time, it's like. It's a weird, it's a weird uh, kind of culture clash. Yeah, it's something. Um, it's like you probably had the same thing as a youngster. I was kind of mocked for being the the sports nerd, right, and wearing the, your favorite team's rugby jersey to school mufti days or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And and like me and my mates are always like, now that we see this this modern trend of football kits being fashions, it's like okay, name a player from the team then. Like you mocked us now. Yeah. Well, I mean that, that happened a lot already with American sport. Anyway, um, you know everybody would have like Mighty Ducks gear, and no one could tell you a player from Mighty Ducks or yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and probably no one even knew that it was a team outside of the movies and and things like that. And I think I probably got mocked in uni about having having jerseys far too often. Yeah, um, become that guy. Um, and um, but as as a kid, man, it was the coolest thing to uh, to have a football kit. I think it was so expensive back then as well, right? I mean, they're expensive now. Uh, yeah, but, but I think it was even worse when we talked about me buying my first kit before. And that was uh, like '96, I think. Yeah, like me actually paying for it myself, man. But I say that like there's so many dishes, cost so many cars for that man. It's like eighty bucks in in like in like ninety six. They're only one hundred and forty now, right? Yeah. That's if you look back on what eighty bucks was to a kid in ninety six, it was a hell of a lot. 
Um, oh, you definitely learn quickly about money once you start <laughs> buying your own football kits. No wonder your yeah, parents didn't buy you so many. <laughs> yeah, don't go there, eh? Bane in my existence. What is what are some trends that you see are, are coming in to kit culture? A couple that, are, that I'm pretty happy with the idea that uh, women's teams' kits are being made in men's sizes. Mm-hmm. From a retail right. perspective, yep. Yeah, yeah, right. That. Um, I think for so long that might have been neglected and um, the idea of um, men supporting women's sport, I think the more normal that becomes, um, men having kits available that are like, so doing a specific kit for the women's team and then making it available to men's supporters, I think that's, that's something that's been developing over the last few years and I think that's excellent. And if we look back to the, the last World Cup, Women's World Cup uh, football, then the... Um, you know, the Matildas brought out, I don't know, a very limited amount in men's size. It sold out immediately. Mm. It was a great design. And, yeah, male football supporters wanted to get a hold of it and then just still can't. So I think they've done a much better job of it this time um, by making that sort of across the board. And I think that, yeah, not I think because I've bought it myself, but they've definitely um, made the the top top level player one available in men's sizes as well yeah excellent so that's sort of developed um further on um uh, yeah i just think that i think that's a cool way that kits can have a bit of an influence over the um perception of of men supporting women's sport and that it becomes normalized it becomes something you can wear um it's not something that's just for the girls to be involved in uh trends that you i had one more oh yeah go ahead <laughs> so um i wanted to, to like so a lot of teams are taking on um indigenous art Maybe you guys have touched on in previous uh, things i think that's i mean these are these are pretty aussie specific trends to be fair yep but having indigenous designs and it's not your indigenous jersey it's just your home or away or it's your national team stuff and i think that in the past i've always um you have a lot of conversations about um, indigenous culture when you when you move overseas, right? That's that's unavoidable. Um, but a lot of comparisons are made as well to the way that New Zealand portrays itself um, visually, right, with regards to Maori um, art and culture, and and the way we do. It's like, oh yeah, that's for indigenous world, right? You know, like that's we have a we have a day in the year for that. Right. I think it's yeah. It's still so degrading, isn't indigenous it? Indigenous round. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's 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 got to evolve, right? And and I hope that it does quicker or sooner rather than later. Um, but what I love is that like something Australian it, it, for a long time because I've been overseas now, um, yeah, eight years or something. Um. And it's it's not to be patronising or, or something like that, but you, you you talk about home and what it means, and you have a different perspective of it from um, from living overseas and experiencing other th- other things, right? And what it what it means to you, and what what is represented, and the and the more that 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 sort of grows inside me um, as a person that likes to see those things visualised, right? 
um, and I used to see them on sports clothing, right? It's 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 <laughs> it's about owning that as an Australian. I'm not taking away from Indigenous people, right? Yeah. But saying this is the most uniquely Australian thing. This this can represent us, and we can we can embrace that, right? Rather than celebrate it for a round. Like this is this is uniquely Australian. It's immediately recognisable as Australian, right? And obviously there's a lot of political chat around, you know, all that voice to parliament stuff in the background and all of that kind of thing and how we better embrace Indigenous peoples and cultures and all that kind of stuff. But I think that us realising that that is the most unique part of our visual history, at least, um, and not ignoring that, yeah, I think I think that's that's only positive. And if we stop calling it this is our indigenous specific jersey and we're only gonna, you know, do a welcome to country on that round or um involve local community or we're only gonna use indigenous name for a place for this week. It's a step in the right direction. But I think I think the broader um understanding um and the, the broader story to be told is the whole like embracing that holistically and and hearing yeah getting that story out into the into the mainstream and for it really to become australian recognizable as australian and not just indigenous well said mate absolutely i think there's an interesting point to that too is it's got to be league focused as well as team focused because you say we celebrate it for around and that's almost the issue is the indigenous jerseys only allowed to be worn mm. twice a season. So if you have your, and then you have to have an indigenous jersey. So if your away jersey is indigenous, then you have another indigenous jersey for indigenous round. Like, is there a point in the mm. indigenous round at that point? Like if it's an away jersey, like the, the kit rules sort of have to be developed along with people's perception of, you know, using indigenous art, yeah, more commonly. I think. Yeah, uh, I yeah, I've experienced similar things where, like for instance, the Firebirds I know have indigenous element on the side panels of their dresses and on the the top back of their dresses. That's their full time, um, but you know, uh, mm. they're still you know other things at play that prevent it from being, you know, just going full gung-ho and it being in a, in a full Indigenous dress all season full round. Thing, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's sort of sort of what I'm, what I'm leading to is, yeah. You've got to but I think for, for a national team, sort of I'm, thing, so. I'm really surprised that um, it's, it's never been done at a Socceroos yeah. level um, or at Socceroos Matilda level. Um, and yeah, we haven't really touched on that, but I'm like massively into to those teams and collecting uh, their historical jerseys as well. We'll, we'll um, get you, we'll get you back, and we'll we'll, yeah. do, we'll do a whole another episode on collections. Guarantee it. Yeah, yeah, no worries. <laughs> it's good to see. Um, obviously, the cricket teams done it. Uh, the the, the baseball guys did it. Well, they had a indigenous element. You yeah. guys chatted about that. Yeah, but I think I think those things are coming in, and they're not being like yo this is a one-off indigenous it's like yeah we're gonna have an element in there the wallabies just go away the wallabies or the wallaroos did one i think wallabies have but it might have been a sevens 
yeah, both both of them have like nah, both of them have away jerseys which are indigenous. Not that the Wallabies wear an away jersey much. But it's interesting you say it, like the all black jersey, I'm trying to think when it actually had any specific Maori patterning on it and that's no, actually not, not very often it's... either. Um you get it for the Chiefs, obviously, the Blues, all the super rugby teams, but the All Blacks, I think they had some sort of Maori infused with Japanese patterning for the 2019 Rugby World Um But I, I can't think of one that's specifically some Maori patterning. There was, there was a lot of um, embossed uh, ones, I think, mid-2000s. Quite yeah, exactly, there's a lot of not, patterns yeah. through the weave, I'm yeah. trying to remember. Yeah, I think I think that's that's the way that's the way to go because if you look at if you look at the patterns, um, for example, the current soccer is kit. I don't I don't know what that pattern is. Right, <laughs> and I actually like the kit, and I thought they think that it worked in a proportion sense. You know, I think that's when we're talking about. We can jump back to that question earlier and talking about something having been timeless and whatever. I think getting the color proportions right. Is super important. Probably should have touched on that after that question. Hmm. But that kit hit nail, hit nail on the head, right? Gold, tiny bit of green, green shorts, white socks. You can basically not stuff that up, right? <laughs> Everybody's fancy. But then if you can go deeper into that and supplement a pattern behind it, probably the latest Matilda's kit is a decent example of doing something like that. But I don't know what the pattern is. On the yeah, it could easily be indigenous, eh? But they could have they could have made something of that, and you probably have you probably have the opportunity if you're going to try and hit that that tiered color hierarchy, right? You're always going to have that opportunity to insert a pattern in there, right? And make make something special out of it. So I'm, I'm surprised that that hasn't happened. The, the Socceroos have been pretty well, and the Matildas have been pretty um, good in in uh, promoting a lot of multiculturalism over the years, and yeah. And you said about, uh, you guys mentioned as well that the uh, Matildas have done their pride numbers and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be cool if they if they jumped on that full time. Uh, trends that you would be glad to see gone or trends that you'd like to see come back? Full sub design for Anzac Day. <laughs> <laughs> we touched on that. Um, and we've also touched on the City Edition stuff. Yep. Um, I think that, I think, I didn't mention it at the time because we talked about the NBA stuff, but whatever the NBA does, NBL's got to jump on a little bit, you know, like that's going to influence um, basketball around the world. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of the NBL clubs do pretty well with their promotion. I think they're doing, doing gangbusters at the moment, a lot of the teams, certainly where I'm from, and um, see a lot of sold-out games for the 36ers. A lot's going on in Tassie in that sphere, with them being the, the biggest team in town. And um, but I think that you know, if you if you're gonna start calling yourselves like putting Swoop City on an LA jersey, you know, it just doesn't mean anything to anybody from there. <laughs> you know, aren't yeah, you the Aren't you the city of churches? Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't like, you Couldn't you put ch- something bit, churches on there? <laughs> 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 yeah, I think that would be better, man. Like, I don't know. This is just put a farmers, you know, ice coffee on the front of it, or I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just something. 
it's got to be something that you from the city sort of realise. I've never yeah. been swept by magpies, but yeah. I've never heard of a place called being called Swept City, right? Yeah. So um, no offence to the bloke that did that, but because it, it's, it's hard to do city jerseys year in, year out. I just think that that's, you've got to have a good story to tell. And um, and sometimes you've got to give it, give it a bit more time or, you know, yeah. do it at the right time. Yeah, don't force it. Yeah, I don't know. Ring, um, ring the bells, church, <laughs> church city, ring the bells. There, there's an easy tagline right there you could start running with. Yeah, everyone that's... bring their bells in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, it's it, it's it's just it's just Mr. Mark, and I think like it is really hard to do like league wide stuff. Mm. So I, I do also um, sympathise with the designers that uh, get that dumped on their chest. Yeah. Um, but having said that, I'd love to see Heritage Round come back. In which sport? Any sport? All sport? Like NRL, AFL. Because if you do a throwback or a Heritage jersey now, it's not what you wear it. It's it's in a sort of standalone moment for your club. You know what I mean? And and I think that the beauty of Heritage Round in the past, where it was like this round's Heritage Round, right? You know, you're going to play against, you know, Bulldogs are going to play against Tigers. What would they have worn in 1975? Or what would they have worn in this year? And you, you, could, you could just tell the story better as a league mm-hmm. about the history, right? And you can tell, whereas when you do it by individual clubs, because obviously it sort of became something the individual clubs would drive rather than the league itself. Um, I just found that history, the, the, the historical references back then that you'd learn about or the matches that you'd learn about or the players that they'd show on TV as a result. It was, it was just more of that. It was more of a storytelling exercise than what would happen if, um, you know, if your club organises to, to launch a heritage round, they're going to wear at this, this match. And that's really focused on your club alone. And if you're not following them on, whatever social media that you're not going to be a part of that story but i think the round itself gather gather round is probably perfect for something like that yeah as well it's a small celebration of um of footy but it can also be something that looks back as well on history but yeah it's just because in the end you want to be telling a bit of a story with uh with those kind of things and you want to share it with more than than just your your own supporters, I think. If you've got a good enough story to tell. Yeah. No, that's that's a great idea actually. Um all right, we're we're pretty much getting close to wrapping it up. Um as a guest on the podcast, mate, I'd uh, just like to get your idea for for some nominations for the the field of design awards. Have you got any uh best or worsts out there that you want to throw in or best overseas? Any personal nominations that you'd want to put in? <laughs> yeah, I think I think I suggested a long time ago that you, you've got to get an award for the best um, spiel. Marketing spin? Right? Yeah, the best marketing spin. I'll probably look up what, what they suggested for the Matilda's Away shirt. It's uh, that sky blue one. It's got to be some some good spin on that. Like, yeah, but they seem to be the default to like, oh, there's surf. there's probably like more full-on ones about the some of that stuff but um 
yeah, <laughs> I, look, I look forward to other people's nominations in that uh, in that category. Uh, any thoughts on um, some great creative work that you have seen this year? It might not be the best design, but perhaps something thought provoking or something you know executed new or differently could be outside of apparel. I really okay. So I really like what uh, ARK do in Sweden. Um, yeah. I knew I was going to get that reaction from from yourself, um, and that's basically because you know there are restrictions on their league and what they can have and the amount of sponsors that need to be during league play. So they always have a preseason kit that's outstanding and expensive and exclusive and <laughs> all of that kind of stuff. And that's that's not something that is only this year, of course. Um, that's that's something that's been going on for, for for years and there's there's a few Scandinavian clubs that really take a basic kit and go nuts when they have the freedom to do so and I think that's that's really cool to see and it's, it's not something that's relatively new let's say but I think that it's it's been really well done and uh, I hope that more more teams kind of use that outlet I'll have to trust Nick's um Nick's work on that, and he can he can sh- add those to the the visual guide. Yeah, you would have you would have seen a few Mason. Okay, um, we've spoken about a few on the podcast. Eh? Okay, oh, all right, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, and it's probably not like either this year, but um, oh, the, think... the navy with the gold gold yeah, applications the... on it. Yes, that's it. I've got it there now. And there's a sort of deeper sublimated um, detail as well, and. Yeah, you know the boxes that come along with it are, are insane. I think that's right. A, that's right. Yes, like, there was a special. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a white one this year, I think. But the previous one yeah. was not and and that's kind of yeah, like both a pretty cool. Thing. <laughs> I couldn't tell you any of their players or anything like that, but uh, <laughs> it's 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 one of those just like we were saying before, right? Get sucked Full in. Full foul of your own rule of jersey not culture. knowing players. Yeah, but um. Wouldn't mind, yeah, I'll probably touch on like as far as um, impactful stuff. I think over here, um, much like much in the way of the, the manly pride jersey, right? Over here, we we had uh, a local designer that yeah. he's a mate of mine as well, but it's not the reason for me saying this. Um, uh, he designed like the one love armband, mm. right? And you probably heard a bit of chatter around that before the world cup. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And countries wanted to wear that, and we still we still have a lot of debate here in the Netherlands because a lot of the teams there'll be a round. It's basically a Dutch Football Association initiative, totally against any form of discrimination, right? And it designed it with the basis of using colours from, um, you know, all resistance to, you know, to racism and uh, black power and gay rights and everything it's not like it's not your gb diq plus yep. um, it's not the flag right there are rainbow elements to the hub right um but it's really like pure anti-discrimination and anti-racism so to have that reaction and um to have nobody really sit back and say Hey guys, this is this is about all forms of discrimination. 
how can you do you realize that your reaction to this is actually discrimination right <laughs> like you're not actually you're looking for your own prejudice in this mm-hmm. right i think those those discussions are important um and i hate it that it is a discussion um i hate it that people choose not to wear it right or will come out and say something about having to wear it um and that some people will feel that they're justified in saying no or whatever um but i don't think i don't think history is going to look back on that favorite too fondly yes yeah i think i think that we're going to look back on that and think okay hey this was a this was a time for positive um understanding of other people um and especially with it trying to be quite general like hey let's stop discriminating on people for whatever they are right yeah bit of bit of love wouldn't go astray and i think i think that those are the those are impactful works um and yeah they might not be in the last year or, or whatever but the discussions that have come out of that um you know about who's wearing it and who's covering it up with their own normal armband and you know what fifa says they can and can't do and, and all of that and people suggesting that uh that would be sent off for wearing it and all of that kind of stuff is like it's, it's sort of provoked the most um chatter of, of anything else that uh that i've witnessed over the last couple of years um and it, it's a bit of a shame that it is let up yeah but it's obvious that it needs to exist yes the reaction itself is obvious enough that it needs to exist yeah, <laughs> yeah. just winding it up now um the, our last kind of two questions that we tend to pose to all of our guests is um have you got any advice for people who are starting out or want to get into the industry um yeah just networking was the most important thing for me um and i guess people being able to see the passion that i had and the willingness to learn um and really immerse myself in in the industry i guess um so yeah linkedin instagram Binance, whatever just get yourself out there i think you guys say pretty much the same thing every week but that that wasn't there for me and i think it would be a different path for sure if i'd sort of found my kindred spirits early on and you know had a community to to learn from and to bounce off and yeah as we, we talked about it was kind of sort of like the lone wolf um path to take in a way um with with some encouragement of course but no real guidance or learning from anyone that uh that was constant throughout i think that you guys building yeah you guys are part of that right um for me it's 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 a, it's a link to to uh to home and what's going on back <laughs> home always loving to hear the you know what everyone's thinking about uh you know, the, the kit releases from the footy and league and, and all sorts. So, um, yeah, you guys are a part of building that. And I think that everyone just needs to, you know, find, find your, find your, your spot. Um, as far as like, if you're into designing and you want to just go ahead first, jump into curl draw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, uh, 
mess around with all, all that and, and, and immerse yourself in the community that exists now because yeah, you guys say it every week. I think if if you put your gear out there, people will see it. Like yeah. That's how it is these days. Like, yeah. And last question, any recommendations on who our listeners should be following or interacting with? So you really like the work of um, Matt Wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been responsible for a lot of um, football branding in the States, particularly. So LAFC, um, Oakland Roots, Vermont Green, all really interesting projects. Um, I think there's been a couple of others at MLS level and things like that. But, um, big fan of, of what he's been able to do in that space. Um, yeah, I'd say 36 days of type as well is pretty interesting if you if you get around, um, you know, typefaces and if fancy a thing. Mm-hmm. Do, um, do do love a bit of wacky uh, stuff every every now and then. So um, that's always good to kind of see what people that are focused on that do in the creative space. Um, yeah, in a more eye on that as well, there's a company called F37 Foundry and Studio. They released a book on football-based typography, which is really cool. Um, yeah, neat. Lane Porter at Nike, responsible for a lot of football gear. Um, Vectoli 1974 is at Adidas. So when... That's always cool to see when something gets released and they're proud to show off some of the stages or, you know, what they've done with that. That's pretty cool. Um, and there's, uh, sorry, this is really football heavy, right? Yep. But um, but uh, there's also a couple of guys that uh, used to work at uh, Puma and Umbro and Nike um, that created a online course for um, the football shirt design. I did see this on your LinkedIn. Yeah. Oops, sorry, say that again. I talked over the top of you. Sorry. Yeah, so that's called Spark Design Academy. And um I think that's probably pretty cool. They also they also do a bit of kit reviewing and things like that and and chats about what, what their experience was. But um you can sort of tap into other people joining into that as well and they're trying to go to Discord community and see I think those kind of things are pretty pretty handy. Um and there's a couple of guys as well that um, I'll give a shout out to that are doing kind of creative stuff with, with jerseys um, that are a bit out of the box. So you've got Blood In, Blood Out. And he's sort of, um, he's been doing all the mashup jerseys, probably the, the original and the, the best on that, and doing all sorts of crazy stuff in that space. And uh, Fokahola as well. Um, he's been, um, I think, you probably saw this kind of gold, messy jersey that went viral after he won the World Cup. But if not, throw it up on the on the pod. But he's just he's been making jerseys from all sorts, like IKEA bags and uh, life jackets, and <laughs> just just really like totally outside the box stuff that he makes these one-off kits from, and it's fantastic. Yeah, who was that? Sorry? Uh, it's like F O K O H A E L A. Of of course, uh, yeah. we'll get all the we'll get all these handles and links from you, and and make sure that we include them in in the um 
the episode page on our website. Um, so, yeah, you can go and, and find them all there once we're live. Uh, oh, yeah. Hectic, mate. Hectic, but um, very enlightening. Thank you so much for coming on. I, I and Nick, we both appreciate your time and, and on behalf of Kit as well, who unfortunately it's, it's impossible to tee up even just the three of us getting together at the moment, let alone having another me today. Having a guest on board. But um, we really appreciate you coming on and I would absolutely love to have you back on to talk about your collection um, and also, you know, hopefully down the line just have you back on just to be, you know, be a, a guest host on as well and and talk about some of the topical things that we're talking at the time. Um, before we before we wrap it up, did you have anything else that you wanted to add yourself? No, not that not that I. Uh, yeah, I would have been good if Kit was here because he uh, he sold me out once. I think he, I think <laughs> he jumped on the um, on the uh, DMs in Instagram when I sort of called out a design that I wasn't really happy with. And had a little, and he sort of encouraged me to have a rant, right? And then when it comes to the run sheet of what you guys were going to talk about in the mailbag, it just made me look like a raving lunatic. But he was like, "I'm pretty sure." It's him. <laughs> no, I think that was me actually. I think I, I edited out, edited out some of uh, some of what you said. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe I, I didn't know. interpret it. I just figured it was cute. <laughs> no, I, I think like, it was I, me. Because someone, someone was there egging me on, like you know, full. <laughs> Fishing rod, like, yeah, keep going, keep going. Yeah, so, yeah, do you want to delve into that further? And I just kept going, and there was no context to what you read out. And just, I remember that was definitely me, Nick, Nick being like, Oh man, this guy's angry. <laughs> and I was like, Oh yeah, cool. So, thanks, sorry whoever that, that was. Sorry about that. No, a, <laughs> I think it was, okay. was it to do with the uh, the A League logo? Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Football logo, yeah. Not that. <laughs> Maybe your perception of the way you were typing it and my perception of the way I was reading it might have been slightly different. You probably were very passionate about it and I read it as some articulate um, written up essay on why the A-League should update their logo. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't think I was being articulate at that point. I think I was, I was encouraged to the point of... Uh, of uh, of uh, being pretty unarticulate. <laughs> pretty worked yeah. out, yeah. Uh, <laughs> mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you also to all of our listeners um, for showing up every week with your earbuds. We very much appreciate it. Uh, if you're not, if you're new, make sure to follow our Instagram at Field of Design Podcast and be sure to subscribe also to the podcast to ensure that you are getting notified when our new episodes drop. Um, you can also leave us a review and some stars uh, on your app of choice. I'm going to hand it over to you this week, Sean. How many stars should uh, our listeners be handing us? Uh, the heat is on. Uh, yeah, I, I never really got this part of the podcast, so I'll just get my number 13. So, yeah, I don't know how many, how many stars. Is good. 13. We'll yeah. It's more than one. We'll take it. 13. 13 stars. I don't even know how it became a thing either. Uh, it was just like the first episode and then it just stuck. I don't know why. We yeah. never spoke about it. <laughs> Lots of traditions work that way, mate. Yeah. 
All right. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, back next week to regular scheduling, I have a feeling, but uh, there might be a few things up our sleeves too. So thank you. Good night. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks.